He's awake? He is, sir. He's weak and in serious need of rest, but he'll be fine in a couple of days. Is he strong enough to talk? Keep the conversation light and short, and he'll be okay. Thank you, Doctor. Good work. Compliments are nice. Flowers are nicer. <laughs> Cap- Captain? Commander Tan! How are you feeling? I'm okay, sir. <clears throat> the doc- uh, the doctor said Commander Pentad has been cleared for light duty? He has. I don't suppose she also told you the ship was saved due to your remarkable efforts? Not in so many words, sir. I've noted your efforts with merit in your personal files and put you and Commander Pentad in for the Christopher Pike Medal of Honor. Not one crewman was lost due to your efforts, Commander. Not one. I'm happy to hear that. Captain, what about the positron radiation neutralization? Was that the cause of the component breakdown? How'd the crew perform? Everything's fine, Mr. Ten. All systems normal. The crew performed admirably. Now get some rest. Aye, aye sir. I, I will. <laughs> you better. Mr. Cobb is asking to have his uh, computer core access restored, and my resolve is wavering. Nurse, get my uniform! Easy, Mr. Tan. Follow the doctor's orders, and you'll be fine. I'll check in on you later. Yes, sir. Doctor, keep me informed on Mr. Tan's status. Roger that. I owe you some flowers, Doctor. Keep it up. I'll believe it when I see it. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 210 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, February 19th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, February 23rd, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. So what do we have this week, Cookie? This week, we check out what it's really like to travel at light speed. In STO News, we bring you the latest things to affect the game, including this week's patch notes, some dev tracking, and a special review of the crafting system by none other than our resident professor, Jace. Finally, before we wrap the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. We're back to recording our episodes live, so if you're interested in joining the live audience, then visit Priority One Podcast dot com forward slash live on thursday nights around 8 p.m eastern time 5 p.m pacific and if you can't make it to the live stream but want to catch all the content that lands on the cutting room floor from week to week then we have a way for you to get your hands on the live unedited ramblings of the priority one podcast crew that's right admirals from week to week we thank our patrons for their ongoing support of priority one podcast by donating via our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And for just $10 a month, 
you can get your hands on the raw, unedited ramblings and recordings that we produce on Thursday nights, typically the next day, by Friday or Saturday. So you'll get the episode early in addition to the amazing ramblings and shenanigans that we produce for the live audience. So if you have the opportunity and have a few bucks to spare, we would very much appreciate your support. And even if you haven't donated or simply cannot, you can still show your support by dialoguing with us. Your comments, questions, tweets, Facebook messages, in-game chats, they lift our spirits when we get to engage with you. So even if you're a long-time listener, share your thoughts with us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, in-game, however you can reach us. And if you have a special skill or interest that you'd like to contribute to the production of Priority One podcasts, like audio editing, graphic designs, blogging, or even something else we haven't thought of, then reach out to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit the website and click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam. As a matter of fact, Jace, when you mention that there might be something we haven't thought of, something I thought of was the idea of having somebody develop tools for the Priority One website. Things like calculators that will assist in improving your captain skills and in-game activities. So if you are a programmer or coder and think that you'd like to contribute to the Priority One website and have it be a great resource for the community, then reach out to us. And if you're looking for a group to play STO with, who better than the Priority One fleet? Join the weekly alerts for some community fun hosted on our twitch.tv forward slash Priority One channel by Airborne of the P-1 Fleet. Now, let's trek out our interstellar neighborhood and explore the cosmos from the comfort of your own computer chair. Then let's trek it out. This week, listener Ben Weiss encourages us to trek out what it might be like to actually travel at a single light speed. In a video by Alphonse Swinehart titled Riding Light, we're taken on a simulated journey of a single photon of light leaving the sun and traveling through our solar system. The video is almost 45 minutes long, and that single photon only makes it shortly past Jupiter. Now, Swinehart admits that he had taken some liberties with the laws of relativity and alignment of the planets, but it's still an awesome representation of how long it takes for light to travel when it leaves the sun. It's a really awesome video, and although long, and you're kind of just, you're pretty much just sitting there watching time go by, but you're also traveling a bit too. And sometimes you don't feel like you're traveling until you swoop past a planet and keep going on and on. It's a really, really amazing video, and I encourage you to check it out. If that wasn't enough space exploration for you, Google Chrome users can enjoy a beautiful 3D interactive visualization of our stellar neighborhood. This map shows the location of over 100,000 nearby stars. The map, created by quote-unquote space enthusiasts at Google, pulls data from multiple sources, including the 1989 Hipparchos mission that aimed to record precise measurements of celestial objects in the sky. The result of the mission was the Hipparchos catalog with more than 118,000 stars. This is even more stunning than the previous video. It's an actual interactive web application from Google. So when you're on Chrome and you launch this website, you can zoom in, zoom out, click on the star, get some information. It's just gorgeous, absolutely stunning. You can spend hours exploring our stellar neighborhood with this amazing interactive map. 
but you do need to have Google Chrome. It's yeah, gorgeous. Cool. Now, there is a warning from the Google developers, Admirals. Scientific accuracy is not guaranteed. <laughs> so please do not use this visualization for interstellar navigation. Have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech that you would like us to cover? Then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. In a blog post by lead systems designer Phil Gorgonzola Zaleski, we get a behind-the-scenes look at the design of the nine new command ships to come to Star Trek Online. I found a few things very fascinating in this story, particularly about how the mechanics of a starship, for instance, their powers, their boff layout, weapons, etc., you know, the under-the-hood stuff, how it's usually planned out before the art department starts to mold the looks of the ship. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Form follows function. Clearly, if there's a unique power, like the Chimera's Phaser Lotus, an art team needs to be able to represent that in their visual design. In the case of the new command ships, however, Gorgonzola explains that was not the case. Instead, the visual design of the ship came before the system's design. When handling the differences the ships would generally have between factions, he outlined the general foundations for the ships that share a similar theme but are on different factions. According to Gorgonzola, Starfleet has average hull but stronger shields. Klingons have higher hull, average shields, and a cloak. Romulans have average hull and shields, and have the Romulan battle cloak. And singularity, and more access to superior operatives, and... Oh, sorry, never mind. Was that out loud? <laughs> but ultimately, Captains, if you're ever wondering what the core differences are between bundle ships like these, between the factions, there you have it, in a nutshell. However, unlike some of the other three ship bundles provided, these command battlecruisers certainly have some significant variations between their career classes. According to Gordon Gonzola, quote, Our hope is that each variant can truly allow for different gameplay options, end quote. Now, the addition of the hangar pads seemed more like a personal choice for the team. According to Gordon Gonzola, the hangar bay wasn't originally included in the early stages of development. Instead, the team was inspired by the concept of fighters defending command starships against small enemy crafts and projectiles, like Vipers protecting the Galactica? Man, I'm really looking forward to when they actually have a, like a for real broadsider. Because then with a hangar bay, man, that's just the Galactica right there. I've been real tempted to get those Vodwar beam emitters that look like cannons. It really looks like you're unloading a broadside barrage. Yeah. Very cool. Well, meanwhile, this week's patch notes have a few welcome changes to the game, beginning first with an update to the queued elite mission, the Battle of Corfez. They finally seem to have resolved an issue where it could not be completed if Benthan spawned in the third phase, which I know many players will be happy to hear. I haven't tried it since the patch, since there was some additional downtime leading up to our broadcast, but uh, should be good news. So I actually played Battle of Corfez a few times for the first time this last week, since uh, our recording last Thursday. And I have to say, I was not as intimidated by it as I thought I was going to be. You definitely do want to have some serious gear on your ship, but honestly, I think if you're performing 
above 10k DPS, no matter what, you can get through this mission pretty, pretty well. Now, it did bug during the Benthen mission, that Benthen phase, so hopefully when we play it again next time, we won't shy away from it when it launches. So, but I, listen, I enjoyed it. I really liked Battle of Corfez. It kind of kept me on my toes. Uh, it's nice that the two phases in between alternate periodically. And that last battle, the final boss battle, oh yeah, you definitely got to stay on your toes. You have to kind of always be attentive to where that main boss ship is. You have to take out those torpedoes before they hit the star. It's fun. I liked it. Yeah, I got to get in there. There's several queues I haven't tried because I only reached 60th relatively recently and have been focused on upgrading gear, which I'll talk about a little later. <laughs> yeah. Continuing with patch notes, the other big thing this week is uh, some changes to Tachyon Beam, which also Bordicus posted about in more detail. The shared cooldown was reduced from 20 seconds to 10 seconds. The individual cooldowns reduced from 30 seconds to 20 seconds. The base magnitude or the base power level of it increased dramatically and the max benefit that can be gained from your aux and flow capacitors reduced to keep it from going crazy out of whack with the increase they did to the base magnitude. And this will change both player and NPC use of the ability. So if you have enemies that use Tachyon Beam, that will also be buffed. So I do not use Tachyon Beam, but I did read Bordicus's more detailed post with examples of what the numbers would end up being after this patch. Man, I don't know if it's because I just don't Sometimes theory crafting and the math behind things just escape me because it's not the type of gameplay that I enjoy. But what I don't understand is that why is it that the lower the skill, right, for instance in flow capacitors, the higher the bonus. But the higher the skill, the lower the bonus. Well, it already works like that to an extent. You know how when you go from zero to three with a skill, you get a bigger boost than you do, say, from going from three to six or six to nine but you still get more of a total bonus at, say, 7 than you would at, say, 2. It's just sort of that diminishing returns. But in this case, the boost that they did to the base magnitude, you could make an analogy to diminishing returns. That's not exactly right what it is. Um, it's just that the change that they made, kind of like when they buffed the marks of weapons a little while back, it will impact people using it with fewer bonuses more because they're using the unmodified numbers. You could kind of also see it as a little bit similar to like a progressive tax where the people who have the most bonuses and all that are getting taxed, if you will, a little more because they're already getting so much out of it. In the end, you're going to get about triple the power out of this at the base and maybe 40%, 39%, I think Bordicus says, if you have like 300 in flow capacitors and 125 aux power. It's gonna be increased for everybody. It's just, if you're using the ability with no flow caps and no aux power, you need the help. Just because the number, the bonus number looks higher, that doesn't necessarily mean the captain should be not investing in flow capacitors. Correct. It's a shame the patch notes didn't say anything about the server stability because players are still reporting significantly poor connection issues with the game. I noticed this at the beginning of the anniversary event, and it did improve quite a bit from the terrible rubber banding that was happening on social maps like ESD, but the stability hasn't really returned to normal like before the anniversary patch. It seems to have even gotten worse. Personally, I experienced the worst of the lag when I tried Battle of Corfez for the first time last week. Basically, I could not move. 
and when I did, it looked like I was watching snapshots of the action. I mean, it was so bad, it was like someone was fast-forwarding and rewinding the screen over and over, and I couldn't really do anything, definitely couldn't click anything. It's also really bad in ISA, the abilities are not responding to my clicks, the weapons, I can't tell if they're firing or lagging or what. I'm also getting disconnected way more often. I used to be that person that watched it happen to everyone else and never thought it would happen to me. Well, now it's happening to me, and I have no idea what's causing it. Is it just that there's more players now? Is it my connection? I don't really know, but it's making it really difficult to enjoy certain aspects of the game, specifically playing the game. I don't think it's you. I have a lot less since I got off of my crappy Wi-Fi, but I'm still getting disconnected and occasionally seeing the rubber banding. The most lag that I've seen has been tray lag, um, which has caused me to mess up my trays several times and not realize it until later. It seems to be an ongoing issue. I am not experiencing that much lag, but what I do notice are people logging off, right? So you see the flash on the screen, like Cookie was saying earlier, of, you know, so-and-so logged off, so-and-so logged off, log off, log off, log off, log off, log off. Yes, I've noticed that. So, and you see these in waves. Like, it doesn't happen one by one, and one could argue, oh, well, that's just because everybody's, you know, logging out. No, no, no. This is just one solid wave of people on my friends list that are online, that are no longer online. And yet, I don't get disconnected, though. I experience sometimes server not responding, but I'm really curious to know what at its core is causing this issue for some and not others. Is it because I'm on the East Coast and closer to the servers? You know, is it because I'm wired versus somebody who's wireless? I'm really fascinated and curious as to what is really at the core of the problem. Well, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from Perfect World and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in a blog, here's the latest pulled from the forums, dev tracker, and the Twitterverse. First up, in a tweet from Star Trek Online Community Manager Captain Smirk, it looks like they're putting out a call for Foundry authors who might be willing to volunteer their missions for Foundry coverage and endorsement. But what does that really mean? Unfortunately, Captain Smirk could not be reached for comment, so we'll just have to wait and see. In other tweets this week, STO lead designer Captain Gecko announced that another new Star Trek actor is heading into the game. Who could it be? I want Will Wheaton as Mirror Wesley, the Crusher for the next mirror event. (laughs) They talked about that, didn't they? Didn't they mention something about that? I think Gecko said he would like to get Will, but he never had like quite the right storyline for it. In an effort to help explain the limitations that environment artists face when designing, Taco Fangs made a very mathy post on the official STO forums attempting to explain how big a space map can actually be. Specifically, he was addressing a question regarding the solar system map, the Earth and Moon, and how the scale of things are limited there. It's actually a pretty interesting thread. He responds several times in it. This is just, uh, we have the link to his most in-depth post explaining the issue. In a tweet by STO producer Maria Rosso, also known as Zeronius Rex, were teased a picture of some new FX in the game being worked on. The image shows a Klingon getting toasted by some sort of fire blast, as if this Klingon really angered Charizard. What could the new visual FX be for? A new enemy ground weapon? Playable mechs? So, as promised, I'm going to talk a little bit about my recent experiences with the crafting and upgrade system. So recently, having caught up on Delta Rising content and gotten all schools up to 15+, plus, I got started crafting in earnest. I'd learned that crafting Mark II beam arrays until I got the modifiers I wanted, then upgrading with superior experimental beam upgrades and a 2x research boost would give me a great chance at jumping to ultra rare or even epic. 
right now with Omega upgrades, this is even better and easier. I also had friends who were newer to high-level content who I wanted to craft some special items for, starting with a couple of TR-1116B sniper rifles. I got lucky at first. I got a beam with crit D times 3, which is what I wanted. I upgraded it, and it jumped to ultra-rare and gained a fourth crit D mod. Perfect. This was going to be awesome. Little did I know. Then I crafted dozens, if not scores, of beams before getting a second good one. I think that one was crit D times 2 pen. But the waiting seemed worth it, as it jumped all the way to Epic and also got a Crit D mod at Ultra Rare. Plus, I got another good Mark II beam shortly afterwards on the same day. It was all downhill from there. In the end, to complete my set of seven beams, I crafted literally hundreds, if not over a thousand arrays. I churned through the entirety of the massive stacks of materials I'd gained in the conversion process from the old R&D system, and I bought more massive stacks, then used all them too. The next four beams all gained the least desirable mod, Damage, which when I looked at the tooltips showed a negligible increase like single digit damage increase versus a different mod. Finally, I upgraded what I thought was my seventh and final beam, and it stayed very rare. This is tremendously unlikely. I actually did the math of this today, and it came out to like a 1.68% chance to use a 2x boost and an Omega Tech on a Mark II and have it not gain even a single quality level by Mark VIII. Brutal. I was fed up, lost my logical composure. I actually upgraded it two more times, which I shouldn't have done throwing good upgrades after bad. It reached Mark X and still very rare. I was pretty crushed by this point. My beam crafting had taken about two weeks of daily effort, millions of energy credits. I was having a hard time earning Omega Particles because I'm not very good at the minigame. And I was getting mostly the minimal acceptable result. Not fun. So I went ahead and threw in the materials and catalysts for the TR-116B. Doing something for another player would be more cheerful, right? Nope. It critted, oh yay, ultra rare, and got another damage mod. Then the second one just stayed very rare. So I mailed them with a note explaining, well, the ultra rare one's mods were fixed, but at least it's ultra rare, and the very rare has future potential, but it might be challenging to get it to ultra rare or above. Again, it was the minimal acceptable result. I took a day off from the game, questioned my choices in life, played with my cats. <laughs> when I came back, I figured, no big deal. I'll just craft one more beam and upgrade it, and that will be that. I crafted two inventories full of beams to get one more with good mods. Then I applied the upgrade. Damage mod. I had to laugh. I'd beaten the odds. I'd gotten five of the eight beams to all have the identical mod at ultra rare all damage. So I stashed the Mark 10 very rare to give away sometime and put the seven beams, one ultra rare with good mods, one epic with good mods, and five epic with damage as their final mods, aside to use as good enough, just like the sniper rifles I've made for my friends. My question is, who playing this game wants to spend all that effort and then get good enough? A huge part of MMOs is gear and itemization, and we have a crafting system that evokes to me nothing but Diablo-style random stats and rerolls and modifiers. I and many others invested months of time, tons of resources, in my case Zen, energy credits, dilithium, farmed materials, collected special doffs, all to win the right to roll some dice. It's stressful and disappointing. I don't feel elation when I get the item I want, just a sense of relief. Yay, I won't have to craft a hundred more. It's not fun. It's not rewarding. The only other MMO I've played that had such a randomized crafting is Marvel Heroes, 
which is by David Brevik of Gazillion Entertainment. He created Diablo 2, and it's clearly in that Diablo action RPG vein. Any other system sometimes had fail states, like if you had too low a skill level, you might fail to complete a craft, but I'd never recall random rewards. I'd like to see something maybe someday like in WoW where the crafter's name is displayed on the item tooltip or the info page, but most of what I've made so far I wouldn't want associated with my character's name. So that's down the line. I started making these beams because my rep beams from the Dyson Sphere would also gain a random modifier at ultra rare and they were very costly to upgrade. Why would I want a random buff on frankly somewhat expensive gear I handpicked for my build? Why should I have to buy 5 or 10 of them to upgrade for every one that comes out with the perfect mod? I get that these differences make a very small difference in performance in the game. Part of the enjoyment for me of loading out a ship is coming up with what I consider an elegant build, and over time fitting each piece into place, making hundreds of random beams and then randomly upgrading the winners is anything but elegant. It's a mess. And while we've been told that a system for changing the mods on an item might be coming, the action RPG styled randomness of the crafting and upgrade system make me speculate that it would just be something that lets you re-roll the mods on an existing item. I hope I'm wrong. Please prove me wrong. So ultimately, you know, right now the goal for most people crafting is to get a weapon with a crit D modifier times three, right? Because you get ultimately five modifiers if you take an item to gold, right? The first four modifiers are kind of up in the air, correct? That's right. Ideally, when you first get your hands on an item, you want the first three modifiers to be at the very least crit D. That's the that's the the unicorn. I was okay with getting crit D times two and penetration as the third one too. I used a mix of both. That was fine. Now you can go and hit up the exchange to find a crit D times three at Mark two for two million EC. Right, that's how in demand these weapons are. Mm. But as a crafter at level 15 or higher, you cannot custom select these modifiers. Now, I am not a crafter, nor have I been a crafter in any of the MMOs that I've played. I've dabbled with it a little bit, you know, but not to where I could speak intelligibly about it. But what I do know is that hearing these types of nightmarish experiences, I do not want to roll that dice. I don't even want to roll the dice on equipment now that I have with the tech upgrades, the Omega tech upgrades, because I'm afraid of what that fourth modifier is going to end up being. So, for instance, I bought from the exchange at about 250,000 EC crit D times two crit H, dual beanbags. Ideally, I either want a second crit H or a third crit D. But that fourth modifier, when it goes to very rare or ultra rare, could be anything. It could be damage. It could be... PvP or PvE or randy these random modifiers. Actually, that... when you increase quality, you can't get those PvP ones. Those are crafted only. Oh, okay, okay. Those can only appear as the final modifier when you craft something. When you upgrade in quality, you can get either accuracy, crit hit, crit damage, damage. All right, so then it's it won't be as bad for me to get that fourth modifier. But again, it's a roll of the dice. Why am I going to want to earn and farm for things like the Omega Tech upgrade, or why am I going to want to invest EC or Zen to convert to EC ultimately in upgrading these kits if that fourth modifier can be something I really don't want? You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me very much of the old cues, right? Where it was that random drop. You never knew what you were going to get. 
And clearly, that didn't work well for the queues. So I don't understand why that randomization was introduced yet again in the crafting system. The randomization, to be fair, I would be okay with one level of. It's that we have two layers of it. So we have to roll twice. We have to roll to create the item and then roll when we upgrade it. And if it's a purchased item that you didn't roll to create, like you bought it from the rep store, then you have a pretty heavy investment when you roll that quality upgrade. So that's a little hard to take, which is why I went this route. Now, I did say to myself when I started this that if it went to Epic without me putting more than one tech upgrade on it, I'm okay, regardless of what mod. So damage, I'll accept it if it goes to Epic without me putting any extra effort into it. And all of these did. That's what I meant by the minimal acceptable. I only got that one that I absolutely had to throw out, but the statistics that went against me on this were mind-boggling, unless, uh, as some folks have said, and as somebody mentioned in the chat also, unless the potential mod you can get is not evenly distributed. Like, I don't know if there's a increased chance of getting some mods than others. I don't have a window into that, but man, it just was rough. It's a couple layers of dice rolls. And this is why I didn't even want to touch crafting until recently. And that was only so that I can start upgrading my gear, not to actually craft items. But right now my highest school is at 12, but I still haven't crafted anything except for those beautiful Omega tech upgrades. But I've heard about that. I've heard about your situation. It's not appealing to me at all. Like I said before, I don't want inventories full of junk. It just seems like such a waste of time. I don't like it at all. Yeah, it was more time consuming than anything. I mean, really the materials I used were all the white quality basic materials and were relatively inexpensive. I probably made money vendoring them, but it just you know took about two weeks. And actually, Elijah, to your point about buying them off the exchange, when I started, those desirable beams in their Mark II state were going for more like $7 million each. Wow. They've actually come down in price. I guess more people are crafting and selling them. Yeah, this is a system that I would still wait on. I mean, you know, I, I went ahead and bought them the dual beam banks that I wanted, and I'm going to earn the tech upgrades. But man, this type of experience that you've had, it makes me want to save the tech upgrades Right, because those Omega tech upgrades are amazing. Mm -hmm. Sarcasm in the chat says, to get a set of seven beam weapons with the mods you want, you have to craft around 6,000 beams on average. Oh my goodness. That sounds about right, because honestly, if I was trying to get a perfect set, I would have thrown out five of the seven I made as not good enough and just kept right on going. I would only have two beams so far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I lowered the bar just a little bit because... Yeah, it is what it is. I'm not a top 50 in the league or anything like that. So epic uh, crit D times two pen or crit D three with any mod will be awesome for me. So that brings us to our community question this week. What have your experiences with the crafting system been? What do you consider good enough when you're crafting items with the random modifier features? What changes or new features would you like to see down the pike? Are you guys picking something up on the subspace frequency? Intruder alert! Intruder alert on deck eight. Security teams to deck eight. Red alert! Well, joining us as a surprise guest for episode 210 of Priority One Podcast is none other than Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thanks so much for stopping by. You're very welcome. Hands up and prepare to be boarded and prepare to uh, surrender your ship. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to say, I've been on the show almost a year now, 
and every week Elijah rants about something. The first time I ever do something you could even remotely call a rant, and Al shows up mid-episode. Well, well, that's because as soon as the company heard that you were ranting, everybody dropped everything and said, Al, get on the show right now. We can't let Chase be upset. See, that was the secret all along. It wasn't nerve tonic. It wasn't Elijah's <laughs> rant number 78. I was the secret weapon. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. You know, whatever, guys. <laughs> Elijah's ready to pay $60 for anything, and so we didn't really care if he got upset about anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now. Hey, now. Not anymore. Not anymore. Apparently not, right? No, I, you know. Actually, what I wanted to talk with you about. Ooh. All right, well, let's start with that. Why don't we talk a little bit about the, those new command ships? And, uh, you know, last week we talked about them. They're beautiful ships, and, and that we do not contest at all whatsoever. But, yeah, I don't know. That $60 price tag seems to sting a little bit. Well, that's the first part. It's not a $60 price tag. It's a $30 price tag. It's 60 if you want three. But who's not going to want three, though? Well, hopefully more people want three than one. First of all, what I do want to say is the command ship has been the most successful ships that we've ever released on Star Trek Online. I can't be surprised. They're beautiful, functional, and especially the tactical trait is practically a, a must-have, at least for tactical captains. So they kind of have the whole shebang going. I haven't tried out the consoles yet. I bought the Presidio, the Federation tactical variant. And I haven't tested it out except in a couple patrols to level up the mastery. Did you buy the whole bundle? No, I just got the tactical variant. You just bought the one ship? Yeah, I was on the fence because I really like the customization options, especially from the science variant. But I think that the type of builds that I use, and I don't really play alts, I would have ended up only using the one ship. Yeah, I ended up customizing mine. I like the round saucer. Mm -hmm. I'm usually a big fan of the pointy saucers, but I like the round saucer, and I like the really high up pylons. I like to keep the nacelles up really high because I like to emphasize that they're not connected to the primary hull, that they're connected to the secondary engineering hull off the saucer. So yeah, so the customization options are, are really nice when you, uh, when you mix them up. But you only pay $30, so it's not $60. I want to make sure it's not that the ships are $60. It's $60 for a three-ship bundle. It's 30 for one. I just wanted to make sure to understand that why it is at $60, because remember, Tier 5 ships are $25 each, and... They're 50 for a bundle. Then you pay $5 more to turn them into T5Us. So if this was a $50 bundle, it would actually be cheaper than a T5U ship. That wouldn't be very balanced. But the main thing I want to just get across is that whenever we do super bundles like this, that ship is a fleet equivalent. That is, a t that is the first Tier 6 fleet ship equivalent out there. So it has the bonus HP, bonus hit points, and the bonus consoles as though... It was a fleet tier six ship. So in addition to its awesome consoles and traits and costumes and everything about it, it is also fleet equivalent. That is a good point. How often do you think that these types of ship bundles will be released in the game? Because I think it is partially a question of the value that is seen in purchasing and spending $60 on a ship, but also kind of the... the $30. Per ship, but $60 for the bundle. So $60 for a bundle of three. I think also just kind of in the future, right? Okay, it, certainly there will be other bundled ships like this. How often do I want to be spending $60 on a bundle? Like, will we see many more of these bundles coming out in a given year that maybe I should wait to something else or hold off? Or Well, I know what you're saying. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's a small investment, but how often would we do it? Right. If they're very expensive to make. It's nine ships, so it's a very expensive investment on our side time-wise between art and design to do 
And uh, I mean, we've done even three ship bundles like the Vesta or the Kamari. Those are expensive to do, especially now as a tier six ship because now they have to have three traits as well. So three traits and three consoles. And so it's a lot more work for us. But this is kind of very similar to the mentality about whether or not you know, we introduce specializations. And so now everyone feels like they have to be able to get all their specializations right away when really what that was is just we're just giving you more options for if we didn't release specializations, you would just play normally. So just keep playing normally and you'll keep getting free specialization points. I mean, the idea with the ship bundles is like you don't have to get the bundle and you don't have to get the bundle bundle. If we just released one command cruiser and we just released one, then people would buy one and it's their and that's your choice and you get that but we're just giving you more choices and you can just have that one or you can get two variants and other stuff with it as well other traits and other consoles and set bonuses but if we didn't release the bundle then you'd only have the one option so you buy the one if you want to you might as well get the bundle and so you get all three so you get the third ship for free and it's not like you have to buy all of them and every time we release the bundle we'll have to buy another one. I mean, I can understand the desire says, oh, what's there? I really feel like I should get the whole thing. But that's good. That's what we're trying to get. And like I said, it's been the most successful ship that we've had, at least, you know, opening weekend. Long term, the most successful ship has actually been the Galaxy X, but that's been out for such a long time. How often will we do them? I don't know. We'll certainly do more. I mean, the last time we did one was the Solene ship last anniversary. And so we'll probably always do them for the anniversaries. If we'll do them again, maybe. But we'll probably also do just regular bundles like we did like with the Vesta or the Kamari instead of a super bundle. So that's still also $60 if you're getting for one faction. So we do those too. But we, you know, we've got a lot of tier 6 ships to get into the game just because you know we have mostly tier 5s and so we're trying to replenish our supply of tier 6 to give people lots of options. And so, yeah, I mean, there's no surprise. We're going to be making lots of ships of all the science vessels and battle cruisers and cruisers and escorts and carriers and flight deck cruisers and flight deck escorts and they'll all come. We'll do that forever. So if you ask me a question, should I wait for something? No, you shouldn't wait. You should buy them all, of course. <laughs> but, you know, buy whatever it is that you think that you'll enjoy. And don't feel obligated to buy a giant bundle if you just really want one ship. But I don't know how to answer that question about whether you should wait or not. Increasing the level cap and adding specializations... Um, and increasing the ship tier to six gave us the breathing room we need to have a larger variety. We had started running out of options to do with ships at tier five. Now we've got all kinds of options. So you're going to see a lot more diversity within ships going forward and a lot more different play styles. So there will always be more ships, and that's primarily how Star Trek Online stays in business. I think, Elijah, what you were doing, you were comparing the Delta Rising expansion pack to this, and you got a lot more with Delta Rising. Yeah, one of the pieces of feedback that we received from last week's episode when discussing the price point was when compared to something as awesome as the Delta Operations Pack. And, you know, the Delta Operations Pack was 130, 140, if I'm not mistaken. And there was so much in that Delta Operations Pack that was end game content. You know, it wasn't a starter pack or anything. These were awesome tier six ships whose mastery skills were intertwined with one another and worked well together. Maybe I'm coming off too soon off the heels of that Delta Operations bundle for me to feel like, oh man, it's $60 when, you know, not six months ago, I spent 120 on a full operations pack and got so much more. So the perceived value changes a little bit, I think, for someone like me. Yeah, I know, of course, the ships are going to come out and probably, let's say a tier six assault cruiser comes out that looks like the Savi. 
man, I'm probably going to want to buy it because it's the Sabi, you know? I like you flying your Avenger, though. I still like my idea of docking an Avenger to my saucer section like a captain's yacht for the Presidio. It's about the right size. Maybe not, but okay, sure. We'll have a <laughs> ship that's carrier that launches Avengers. Perfect. Sure, why not? Confirmed. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about the Delta bundle, I mean, you know that price point was severely reduced. Just like the year before that when we did Legacy Romulus Pack, it came out at a discounted price, and then after a little while it goes back to its standard price, which is more closer to $200 or more, 229 I mean, we realize it's a big price, and so we discount it to get early buyers, get it at a discount, but it'll go back up. No, it's a fair point, though. It's similar to, like, I bought my laptop when I was an employee at the store I bought it from, so now I, I kind of... I got such a good deal on it, it's like buying something on clearance and then not wanting to buy something later because it's not as good a price point as when you bought the thing that was on sale. It's a little like cognitive dissonance or something like that. But I think that's where people's minds are at. Mm -hmm. The price point that you should be comparing it to is say like an Armitage or some other $25 tier 5 shit that costs $5 to upgrade a tier 5 U. That's only if you buy the 4-pack. If you just buy one tier 5 U upgrade, you would actually be paying $32. That's right. If you buy the 4-pack discount, it's something like $7 or something per single. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it that way, I mean, we're not saying that you have to spend $30. If you want three ships, it's $60. It's not one ship. But, you know, I understand the desire, but that's the whole point. We're trying to make it desirable that you think that I must have that. Like I said, a lot of people do. And then we'll release something else that hopefully you'll find very desirable and want to get. But I understand. I'm not doubting that it's a big investment, but if every three months or three to six months you drop $60 on Starships for the game, I mean, that's a subscription, right? That's basically what you would pay if you were paying $15 a month for an MMO. I think the argument to that that I can hear already is, for instance, I do continue to spend money in the game. You know, I'll get in a Steam card and... and you know, get dilithium so I can convert it and make purchases in the game. So I don't argue that clearly that there needs to be something to entice players to purchase. I'm still debating it, you know, honestly, a little bit whether or not I'll get these ships. Actually, let me ask you this, Al. So what is your favorite feature design about this ship that the team has created? My favorite feature design about the ship, being an engineer player, I love that you get to basically do the same thing in space that I do all the time on the ground and setting up fortifications. That's personal kind of play style that I have, regardless of what game I play. I like to set up little fortresses or little, you know, defenses. So that's just my personal play style about that. But I do really like the visual styles of the ships a lot, especially the Ryman ships. They're pretty stunning. They are. They're beautiful ships. But Jace, you bought one, right? You found the one you liked and you paid 30 for it, right? Exactly. If you like a ship, then we hope that you buy it. And uh, if you like everything about it, then you like more, then yeah, please buy the bundle. Or the Super Bundle if you play all three factions. So you basically get three ships for free if you buy the Super Bundle. I don't want people to feel like they have to buy the whole bundle and to the point where now it's out of range. And it's only, and like I said, it's only $10 more than other bundles because it is a fleet tier six ship. Why don't we get into crafting? Sure. I don't really have too much to say, but I caught the tail end of Jace's rant. Actually, it was completely accident. I just popped in and heard him talking about that. But the only thing I got to say is that you're absolutely right. The system is not complete. I mean, the main thing that you get out of crafting right now is you get to make upgrades and there are unique recipes. And if you want to make algo items, that are good, you can still make good algo items, but you can't make exactly the item you want. And so that is definitely a priority for us to allow you to make, to, spit, to build exactly what you want to 
make, and that really comes in like three pieces. How much of this, I don't know we'll, you know, how we'll approach it, but whether or not we want to add like a disenchanting to be able to pull mods off of something. Do we want you to be able to re-roll a mod on an existing item, or do we want you to be able to actually craft a specific item, or if it's some sort of combination in between where you, whether or not they, there's an item you need to get, whether you have to pay for it or not in order to guarantee a mod, or if it's just, or only if you craft and you can buy exactly what you want. So, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Diablo has a system where you pick one mod and then you can re-roll it, and if you like it, or you can keep the original one and you can keep re-rolling on it, and then, you know, those cost something to do. I don't have a design for it, but it is something that we want to do, and at this point it could take any form. But I would think that you should expect something like that within a reasonable amount of time. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate it because, yeah, I think I crafted about a thousand beams, roughly. But I highly recommend that everyone continue to work on their crafting because when those things are available and then you say, oh, if I had known that, I would have been doing my crafting schools all this time, right? It really doesn't take much to log in every day or whenever you play and just run a research project and just have that running every day and just have some schools going because at the very least, you're going to at least be able to have access to upgrade kits, even if you don't like making the other gear. That's what you've been doing, right, Cookie? That's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm just trying to get the schools up. Right, because originally we didn't research the upgrade kits. And it's like, why should I bother? And then we released the upgrade kits and people were like, oh, if I had known that, I would have had my schools ready. I says, well, there'll be more stuff coming to the system. It's very scalable for us right now. So yeah, continue to invest into those schools so you'll have a leg up. When, and we're also going to add more recipes to the school. So we'll just have more gear, like similar to rep gear, that you can craft in the system that can just, whatever it is you're going to do. So we're going to be investing in unique recipes as well. I was like Cookie and didn't invest too much time in the crafting system. Even the upgrades, I was kind of like, no, but man, these the, the Omega Tech upgrades, oh, I want to have as many those are schools open as possible. I'm still down one project. I could have been using that project slot by now, you know, for these Omega Tech upgrades. I told you so. <laughs> I love those Omega Tech upgrades. They are the answer to all my problems with Dilithium, at least, because there was Dilithium was being spread way too thin especially for the upgrades, upgrading your gear. But these Omega Tech upgrades are perfect. They're exactly what I needed at the exact time that I needed it. Well, we're going to leave those recipes running. We're going to, you know, the Omega minigame will stop running. You won't be able to earn any more Omega shards or whatever. We're actually going to make a new school, special project school. It's actually all done. It just has to get pushed live, and then uh, the Omega stuff will go in there, along with any time we want to release something special, unique, that's not really tied to a school. So we'll come out of science, and we'll move into a special school. And so they'll still be running, so you can continue to craft those if you'd like. So we really need to make as many slivers as we can now so that we have... My goal is 2,000 of each color and 2,000 slivers so that I can have about 175 tech upgrades by the end of it. I want to be able to, to, to craft up for two ships worth under these Omega tech upgrades. Wow, your goal increased since the last time you told us what your goal was. I think you said 40. No, it was 2,000. No, last week you said 40. No, for, oh, yeah, last week I said 40. Yeah. You're no, mad, want... man. You've been doing a lot. I still can't get a perfect score. Oh, I can get man. close to 2,000. That's about as close as I've been able to do. I've gotten it a couple times, but just by luck. It really matters on kind of what some of those little particles come out at, right? Mm -hmm. If they start popping mm -hmm. all over the place randomly at the end when it's coming really fast, forget it. You're not going to get it. But sometimes you get lucky and be like five or six in a row towards the end, or the next one is just like right next to it so then it's easy to get you know i'm waiting to see i wanted to do this but i never had time i'm waiting to see someone out there do this for me i know someone will do it is uh when seven of nine in the episode with the omega particle 
is trying to stabilize the particle before Janeway beams it off the ship. <laughs> the scene cutting back and forth, I actually see her playing the Omega minigame <laughs> instead of what's on the normal L cars. And they go back and forth, and then like, bling, bling, and it shows like, you know, you got the perfect score, and then she's, oh, like the perfection, and then Janeway beams the particle away. So maybe someone can edit that together for me just for fun. <laughs> that's I pretty epic. That. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's about all I really had to say at it. Was there any other quick questions I'd be happy to answer, but otherwise Lag. I just wanted to just come in and crash and say hi. Cookie has a question about the lag. I don't know if there's anything that you can... Lag. What's up with the lag, Al? I, know, I don't know if you it know anything It just means that it, everybody but... loves the game and that everybody oh, in the servers are full. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> Less people need to love us. I know. It's hard. Yeah. You're just having just general game lag or you're talking about like UI lagginess because there were some UI laggy issues that are... Yes, that... There's definitely that. Like in ISA or in Battle of Corfez, it's like, I don't know. It's it's nothing like it used to be. And it was after the anniversary event when it started and it's just never been the same. And I know it's not just me because every time I play, there's like a line of people that said, oh, this lag is terrible. I can't even play anymore. Like You were a getting bunch rubber of my banding, friends, right? Yeah, rubber banding. A bunch of my friends just decided I'm not going to play until they fix it and i don't know how to how you guys would even fix it i don't even know what the problem is i don't know that's why we have server people who are smarter than me to do that kind of stuff i know yeah i, I know no it's idea. definitely not I in your really seen too much myself you know i've played a couple times this week and seem to be fine i mean those things can be any number of things right there could be a bug in the code it could be a bad machine it could just be the internet i don't know you're asking the wrong person but if there's a solvable problem someone will find it and fix it but there's I'm sure all they're kinds aware of networking things that people do and they need to cross the stream somewhere and fix it. So apologize if you're having lag issues, but uh, I'm sure it'll get addressed if there's something that can be fixed. Well, Al, thank you so much for stopping by and joining us this evening while you're at work. It's always awesome to have you on the show, and it's great that you were able to join us this episode. Yeah, sure. No, it was good to stop by. And, uh, thanks for letting me drop by and say hi. Anytime. The door's always open. Great. Carry on. <laughs> As you were. As you were. As you were. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. But first, I'd like to give a shout-out to at PJA for shooting me a PM the other night expressing their enjoyment of the new Prelude segments. So thank you, at PJA. All right, and just a reminder, here are the community questions for last week. First, what are your general first impressions of the new command ships and their prices? Are these must-buys for you? Also, we encouraged everyone to chime in regarding the discussion about the 20th anniversary of Star Trek Voyager. What did you see as its unique contribution to Trek history? On our Facebook post for this episode, Christopher Carroll writes, Hello, P1, long-time listener, first-time posting. For me, the new command ships feel like an upgraded Excelsior class. I like it a lot. Sleek, powerful, I went to the Presidio Tactical Command Battlecruiser from my longtime Excelsior ship. Great job on this one, Cryptic. Great show as always. Live long in podcast. Yeah, I think especially one of the neck options is very Excelsior-like. It definitely has a few hints of that little homage. That's the same one I got, by the way, the Presidio. Good choice. Foxman86 posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I bought the Federation 3-pack. This cruiser is a very good cruiser. I managed a 11k DPS run in ISA, however, that was with only Mark 12 very rare gear in my tank style build. I can only imagine what I could potentially do with a fully upgraded ship. I'm an engineering captain. 
The one downside in my opinion is that the Starship trait on the tactical ships are a bit overpowered and I believe it needs to be toned down a bit. I can see where you're coming from with that. My experience so far is that in order to get the full potential of what that looks like on paper, it requires a lot of micromanagement and also potentially putting some bridge officer abilities on your ship that you don't necessarily really need just to trigger the trait. I'm seeing a modest improvement with it, but I'm definitely not at the level of, of twinkle toes on the keyboard to be able to get all my cooldowns that, that much just with that trait. I'm still debating if I'm going to bite the bullet and get them. I don't think so. I think I might wait for the, the next one, see if that, that tickles my fancy. I, I am very intrigued by whatever it is that Thomas is working on. Don Brainham commented on the Facebook post for this episode, Great show, and I'm really liking where you guys are going with the Prelude episodes. Can't wait until next week. As for the command ships, I bought one, the Vastum Command Warbird, and really enjoy flying it. It's not quite as robust as the Tulwar. I normally fly on my Romulan characters, but it's slightly more responsive, and the inspiration abilities can really help turn the tide of a battle. See what I did there? Uh... I do not see what he did there. <laughs> Turn the tide is one of the inspiration abilities. Oh, I see. I see what he did there. <laughs> it's. Uh, I believe that's the one that is a heal and damage resist buff for the whole party. Something like that. It's a. It's an awesome ability. All three of them are good. Armok commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Longtime listener, first time caller. You folks mentioned the hefty price tag of $120 for the nine ships. The Delta Rising pack, when it first came out, was for $125. And not only did we get nine tier six ships, we also got a new cross faction costume, three unique bridge officers for each faction, three new duty officers, three starship upgrade tokens, and three equipment upgrade kits. That's one heck of a deal. But 120 for just 9 ships that function 80% similar to one another? If Cryptic wants me to tell them, shut up and take my money, then they need to sweeten the deal. Throw in some new DOFs that have traits to help the command ships. And how about some nifty command bridge officers, as not everyone is specced out to train command officers and not everyone likes that Kobali command officer. Um, you know, we, we talked about the value for what these ships are with Auravera, and you know, he is right, they're, they're, they are great ships. Um, they're just not for me, and I want—I would rather invest my money, my dollar, uh, somewhere else at this time. You know, Elijah, I'm curious to see what you think of this idea. I saw someone post it on the forums, and I thought it was kind of intriguing. What if they had an option where you could buy just the ship, like they do now, or you could buy a bundle that comes with, like, an actual little bit of a build for that ship? Like, not just white Mark 10 gear, but, like, actually comes with some bridge officers trained with abilities and maybe some doffs a little bit better uh, actual equipment for the ship that makes sense and had a little bit um, heftier price tag i'm intrigued i think some people might not like it because it would be like buying a cookie cutter build or you know the way people can buy a magic the gathering deck you know what though well first of all i don't think that they should adjust the price i think that for a bundle 60 dollars and having that included really sweetens that deal now, for an independent ship, $25, okay, that, that even that is, it, you know what it is? It's just, it just all, compared to that Delta Operations pack, man, it just really just makes everything else kind of pale in comparison in terms of the value for the money that you invest. But I think if they were to sweeten the deal for each individual ship and for the bundle especially, 
um, man, yeah, I would say that, yeah, it would, it would certainly increase the, the value of it. Instead of just getting the core ship with just white weapons and consoles, that's a, that's a really good idea, man. I think that they should really consider something like that, is including maybe some, you know, Mark 12s, in, or not Mark 12s, including some higher-end weapons, some pretty anti-proton. decent consoles. And, <laughs> yeah, anti-proton weapons, maybe. Yeah, something <laughs> something to add to it that doesn't that will not require them to invest development time, but all it is is just adding a pack or a bundle to the price, you know, maybe duty officers. Ben Churchill writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I understand with inflation, etc., prices will generally go up. Costs have to be covered, and these Tier 6 ships are offering more than other ships. The only real criticism I have of these ships is for the extra zen involved. They should have their own bridges. I love my immersion, and when I went to visit the shiny new bridge on my new command Tier 6 cruiser, I was super disappointed. I was expecting to see a bridge full of officers working at their new command stations, only to find that I had entered the standard bridge. It's a shame, because to me, this is no standard ship. I know Al has said, and other people have said, how much it costs to make a, another bridge. I think it's kind of difficult and time-consuming. I'm assuming that's why. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. But you know what? The Dyson pack had a new bridge, right? The Dyson ships, don't they have a, a Dyson bridge? Or do they use... Yes. But I think they use a lot of the assets that they had already... Like, it was part of the story. You had to get onto those... Uh, onto the um, obelisk. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking the obelisk, aren't I? The uh, I, I don't think Maybe. the Dyson ships. Yes, I think you're. Yeah, you're thinking the obelisk. The obelisk had a bridge. Yeah. The Dyson, I don't think that they that they did. Lobby and lockbox ships always have them, but uh, sea store ships usually don't. All right, so right, so we didn't. This is a bundle. No, no new bridge. You know, it, it's they're great ships, but I think after something like the Delta Operations Pack and the idea that you mentioned from the forum, from the forums, they should probably consider sweetening that the, the bundle deal at the very least the bundle deal right make it so that my i feel like my 60 dollars is going a little further um especially on the heels of, of something like the delta operations pack jerry lewis commented via priority one podcast.com i do think 60 dollars is a bit high but it doesn't surprise me 20 dollars for tier 4 ships 25 for tier 5 so this is just the natural progression with the 15 percent bonus zen however this set only cost 50 dollars 5,000 Zen plus the 300 bonus Zen plus 750 bonus Zen from the offer. Now, it should be noted that Jerry Lewis did, in fact, purchase the ships. Of course, the, the money is a natural progression, but, man, that Delta Operations pack. <laughs> and you know what else, too, is that it's just we're investing money in so many other places in the game. You know, converting for dilithium and investing in the dilithium and upgrades. And it's just where do I want my dollar to go? And these ships, I do not want my dollar to go to these ships. Well, something that I've been thinking about is I purchase Zen periodically. But if there's something, if there's more things I want than I have Zen, I don't usually go get more Zen. I just have to make tough decisions. So if I really feel strongly like I have to best use my Zen by buying keys for energy credits or converting to Dilithium or, you know, getting upgrade packs or R&D packs, then I... I'm not going to get a ship necessarily each time. I haven't bought a lot of sea store ships. I bought other things. I have a lot of lockbox and lobby ships from the exchange. But past a certain point, it's tough because that's a little like le- that's a little less fun I'm having, and it feels like oh well, my Zen every month is going to almost like maintenance, like just dilithium costs because I can't play enough to farm dilithium all the time, and 
I need to keep up to, you know, feel like I have a leg to stand on to talk about some of this stuff. And for my own enjoyment, because I like completing builds. But past a certain threshold, and it's a fine line, it would not be fun enough to continue. You know, like, why am I continuing to, to buy Zen if it's like I can't get out of the money pit to use it for the things that are the most fun? I'm saying that when I did buy one of the ships, and I love it. It's my favorite ship now. So it's just something I was thinking about. Jericho at Hellblade has a different concern regarding the purchase of new ships and wrote into us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Dozens of new ships are added to the game every year through the sea store lockboxes, mission rewards, and events. A major problem for some of us is that new ship slots are not being added to accommodate them. There's a limit to the number of ship slots you can buy, and I've reached it. In a recent interview, Charles Gray, lead content designer, said that adding new slots for sale is difficult due to database issues. That implies that new slots won't be added anytime soon. Many of us are now at a point where we have to discharge fleet, lockbox, and event reward ships to make space. None of those can be reclaimed. This certainly diminishes my desire to buy any new sea store ships. The same is true for lockbox keys, since the big lockbox reward is always a ship. I also don't need Lovi for ships. Accepting that adding new slots is difficult, I've been working to rally support in the forums for making all ships reclaimable. It seems apparent that this would be possible since we can already reclaim sea store ships which have been discharged. This addition would keep our personal fleets at a manageable size while still allowing us to make room for new ships and purchases. I could safely discharge my Breen carrier knowing that I could reclaim it the next time I want to play it. Thanks for all you do at Priority One. Thank you, Jericho. I think that's a valid, very valid point is that, you know, a lot of, there are ship collectors. There are people that no matter the cost will go ahead and invest Mm -hmm. their money in purchasing the ships. And there's only so many that you can have slotted and in your inventory. So as more ships come out, there's no place to put them. And then you end up having to throw away money, right? Quite literally throw away money because you cannot reclaim the ship. So hopefully they will, you know, address this issue for people like Jericho who who spend money. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't. I don't think it could hurt anything to increase the ship slots. I can't think of any negative effects I don't understand the whole reclaim thing, though. Why can't you reclaim? Well, I suspect that the reason we can reclaim things specifically from the sea store and nowhere else has something to do with, like, when you download something from an app store and then you get a new phone, like, the store knows that you've bought it before, so it's flagged. I imagine that the... And I'm just guessing. I'm guessing that behind the scenes, the game doesn't, like, flag you that you are a owner of blah. You just have that sort of in your inventory, in your ship inventory. But the C-Store, I think, keeps track of what you have bought so you don't buy the same thing a second time. And that allows them to activate code for you to reclaim it. It's possible they might be able to expand that, but I suspect that it would be one of those engineering tasks that they always say that there's a finite amount of resources to work on. Adding new slots seems more likely, and they have been gradually adding more, like we got more inventory max recently, and so on. Yeah, it's only that could only help them at Cryptic, I would think. Yeah. People would buy more slots, buy more ships. If they did make everything reclaimable, though, many people would just dismiss everything but what they're using and keep the minimum slots. So that would be a little counterproductive to them to make a big engineering job that would then 
make them the opposite of money. I mean, people might arguably buy more ships, but that's debatable. Anyway, uh, moving on to the subject of our conversation about grind last week on PriorityOnePodcast.com, Seti Tim writes, Thank you for the conversation about grinding. It was thought-provoking and reasonable, and the acknowledgement of the semantic nature of the debate was appreciated. Jace's counterpoints were especially on point. I like this person. They should write in more. <laughs> the Grand Nagus commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I think arguing whether the game has a grind or not is a waste of time, because the term is subjective. One person may consider a certain playstyle or system a grind, while another may not. And neither is right or wrong, because there is not some official MMO dictionary out there. Yes, yes. I mean, everything is subjective. Uh, nothing is right or wrong. No one is right or wrong. Therefore, everyone is right and wrong at the same time. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, there is there is a, a limit. There is a threshold for what can arguably consi- be considered a grind. I think there is precedence for it. And although there are some aspects of Star Trek Online that seem grindy, you know, for instance, the anniversary events where you have to redo one thing, I mean, but you're getting a free ship. I, that's ex- I think for me personally, that's acceptable grind. Uh, in terms of the, the system progressions, okay, sure, one can, argue, one can argue that yes, it is a grind, but uh, in terms of the threshold for what is horrible grind, I don't think Star Trek touches that or comes near it. Because, man, there are some horribly grindy games out there. Some big blockbuster horrible grindy games out there that uh, that Star Trek just does not, does not compare to. For me, I just think it's where your mind is at at the time that you're doing the thing. Like, when Delta Rising first came out on my main character, I mean, it was exciting. The missions were really good. And sure, there was that level gate that was kind of grindy, but um, in between. But the missions themselves were good. And now I'm on... My when I got on my secondary character, Minx, and I wanted her to do some Argala before they nerfed it, but I couldn't get to it because I had to do all these missions, and now it's become a grind. But whereas before, it was fun, but since my mindset is different, I just want to get to the rewards. So it just depends on how you look at it. It's going to be different for everybody. Yeah, I think that's fair. We're all right, <laughs> and we're all wrong. <laughs> Oh no! Now Elijah's going to turn into Syndrome. <laughs> Wait, who's from uh, The Incredibles? When everyone is special, no one is. Yeah. <laughs> Nagus, you've created a supervillain. Terev posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. People will always go for what gives them the best bang for their time. So, if during Dilithium weekends doing the mine is worth it, then people will do it every day on every tomb, so they can maximize the Dilithium they acquire. When you cap things and set systems up behind any sort of gate, be it time, real-life money, or in-game currency, it is inevitable for there to be a grind to acquire the end goal. I really enjoyed the game. It's got a lot of fun things about it. It can be extremely overwhelming in many aspects of it. It can definitely feel like a job. Doffs, Dilithium, and R&D being chief among them. Hmm. See, this is a great example of what uh, Elijah was just saying about it being different for everybody. Uh, because doffing is, like, super fun to me. I find things like Dilithium mining a little boring. I just, that minigame is not that engaging for me, but doffs and R&D are right up my alley. I would do it all day at work if I could do it on my tablet, so I'm glad I can. And Cookie also kind of touched on this, too. I mean, for her right now, things feel grindy on Minx. Mm-hmm. 
you know? So, yeah, it's it's all math. Makes sense. It all, it adds, all adds up. up. <laughs> what was it? Yeah, it's, yeah. What was I don't it? even <laughs> know. It all adds up. I guess it's just math, I guess. Or something stupid. Oh, uh, it was something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. I was quoting myself just now, not anybody else. We also got a couple of remarks about our conversation on the research boosts that were added to the C-Store. Uh, first up was the Loot Critter, mm, the notorious Loot Critter, commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Great podcast. So far, so good. I'm with him so far. Let's see what else he has to say. Jay's math on the research boost's value is right on. It's better to buy dilithium and take that shortcut than to use those bonuses. I suspect that the creation of these tokens were first seen as new content for lockboxes and R&D support packs. If they were four to five times as generous in terms of XP, they'd be worth it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think four would be just enough to make them better than just using dilithium. Five would make them a good value. I was going to say, hey, I'm surprised Aravera didn't address that. Um, I don't know. Sometimes the C-Store stuff is more of a perfect world thing. I just think that Al has more of a stake in ships because his team designs and implements the ships, whereas uh, right. some R&D booster is not really an axe to grind with him. Mimey2 writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, For starters, I was pleasantly surprised to hear you guys back away a bit from the Everything is awesome! Mentality that I noticed had begun to irk a few people, including, to be honest, myself a bit. You put some critical question marks out loud behind the usefulness of upgrade XP booster packs, and you did so in a respectful way. Yet your logic was irrefutable. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, this is another one of those shows that it's not everything is awesome. Yeah, well, and I appreciate that. We try to mix it up. I, uh, I sometimes wonder at the perception that we think everything is awesome because I'm pretty sure on any given topic the three of us don't agree but I guess it just is whatever comes out as the dominant sentiment out of whatever we're discussing. Jackal1701 APW commented on the Star Trek online forum post for this episode. When you guys were discussing pros and cons of Star Trek Voyager and other TV shows I was a little confused. You guys don't seem to rate DS9, and yet all the issues you highlighted with Voyager, lack of grit, pigeonholed, clean Star Trek storytelling, were not issues with DS9. Episodes like Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night, Siege of AR-558 were fantastic. And my favorite episode of all time was The Visitor. Given the comments you guys were mentioning, I would have thought that DS9 would have been the most popular show amongst the team. It certainly was my favorite. So I watched In the Pale Moonlight the other day, yesterday actually, uh, as I was farming for Omega Particles. And because we you know, because of this conversation, right? Because of the because of trying to figure out the grittiness and blah 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 and comparing it to things like Battlestar Galactica. And again, although it was a great episode, and although it, it was really a dark morally gray yeah, and I'll, yeah, the 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 episode, and although the the episode was dark and and like you say morally gray, it still was Star Trek clean, right? You know, the, the one of the key things about that episode is that the Dominion have invaded Beta Zed. I mean, they invaded Beta Zed, and Beta Zed is is a key is a founding member of the Federation, right? And so. When they say something like that, when they try to paint that picture, man, 
I would have loved to have seen a cutscene of, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of Jem'Hadar ships flying into Beta Z space and showing that invasion. I mean, these are things, these are, these are, not because I like explosions, but man, it would, it would really draw me in. It would show me the, 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 the pain that the Federation was facing in the war. Instead, what the episode was, what the episode ended up being was, oh, Cisco is sacrificing his self-respect and 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 questioning his own morality no 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 no. the episode should have been about man the federation is struggling and we need to bring the romulans into the war i don't care about cisco cisco you do what you have to do man i we need to save the federation because people are dying so that's why deep space nine is a little bit of a disappointment for me because they could have man they really could have just shown the struggle of the federation not just cisco not just deep space nine I want to see the Federation struggle. It's interesting because they really, more than any other series to date, they showed what you, they attempted to show what you were just talking about, that battle for the heart of the Federation. Yet they were quite removed, other than being next to the wormhole, obviously, but Mm -hmm. they were quite at a distance from all of it. And I can agree with you to a point in that it's the old adage, show don't tell. And Star Trek historically likes to tell sometimes when they should show, especially the the series that aired concurrently, Next Generation, DS9, and Voyager, are fairly talky by today's standards for sci-fi. Um, and and just, to, just to interject about this um, remark for Jackal, pretty much everything that you're responding to was Elijah. <laughs> Deep, Space, Deep Space Nine is actually one of my favorite series, but we were discussing Voyager because of the 20th anniversary. Um, I would say TNG is probably my favorite, and then Deep Space Nine. And then it's a toss-up for the rest, because I haven't watched a lot of uh, Enterprise and Voyager. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. I was mainly just only talking about Voyager, because that's what the topic was. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I think, segs us nicely into M. Hall 85 who commented on the Star Trek Online forum post for the episode, Wait! Voyager and Enterprise are ranked ahead of DS9. Enterprise is known for its good and gritty writing. Elijah complimented the JJ films. What kind of bizarro mirror universe did I warp into? Well, I replied to M. Hall on the uh, on the uh, the forums, and and yeah, I rank Enterprise because Enterprise showed and didn't tell. You know, they showed what was happening, and um, I appreciated that. I appreciated the. It didn't leave it to the imagination, and it wasn't just about the crew of the Enterprise, but now it was about saving Earth, you know? It was about protecting Earth and its future. And sure, it was told through the eyes of, of the, the characters, but it wasn't just about the Enterprise. It was about saving Earth, so... In terms of general feedback for last week's episode, McCracken at T Mirror Universe tweeted, Listen to my first at STO Priority One podcast. Very informative. With the interviews from Star Trek Online. Good for the drive home. McCracken, thank you for discovering Priority One Podcast. We're glad that uh, you're listening now, and hopefully you'll listen to us from week to week. Welcome to the fold. Azurian pointed out via email that you can make training manuals from reclaimable boffs. For example, Elisa Flores, if you didn't unlock her before Season 8, the KDF Tutorial Boff, the Android Boff for veterans or lifetimers, the Kobali Boff, and possibly even the Voth Boff. Good to know. Well, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. We encourage you to keep them coming. 
Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at STO priority one, or just shoot us an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 210 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. This week's community questions are, what do you think and what have your experiences been with the new crafting system? What changes would you like to see? And when you're crafting, what is your threshold for an item that comes out good enough for you to use? Let us know your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriority1. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Admirals, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. With that support, we've already hit our monthly running costs, and we are so very grateful to all of our patrons. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon Fleet Division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. Starting February 21st, the Priority One Fleet will be hosting live stream giveaways every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, hosted only by the Priority One Fleet. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for the surprise visit this week. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, and support from audio assistants Admiral Winters and Frederick Retegard, and to QA support staffer Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist Romulan Ale, to all of our bloggers and their managing editor L, to the writer of our prelude dramas Jake Morgan, to our video editor Jerry Tillman, to Chris Trone, our social media manager. Thanks to the composer of our theme music Chris Watts, and to our syndication partners Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners, our friends. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. All right. Uh-huh. He's just quoting Luke Skywalker. I, I care. <laughs> I don't watch. I don't watch Star yeah. Trek. Oh. So what do we have this week, Cookie? This week we check out what's what it's. Sorry. This week my bread expired today. I've been wanting to say that. <laughs> this week we check out what it's really like to travel. Check it out. <laughs> well, because what? you said penicillin discovery. And my bread expired expired on february 18th and i was gonna eat it today and it didn't i you don't mess with expired bread other things you can but not with expired bread it's a big no-no this is elijah stone news sync one this is cookie sto news sync two <laughs> so distracted this is uh jace i think <laughs> sto news sync three but have a romulan battle cloak Ooh, i got gassy there did i slur there it sounded like i slurred are you drinking? I didn't really catch it. Uh, I took a sip of a beer. The team was inspired by the concept of fighters defending command starships against small enemy crafts and projectiles. Projections. <laughs> Instead, the team was inspired by the concept of fighters defending command starships against against small enemies. Oh my god. Why is it one of those nights? Like vipers protecting the Galactica? Like Star Furies protecting, I don't remember what Earth ships were called in Babylon 5. Never mind. Ha ha. Yeah, for me, I'm on a laptop, wireless, and I'm in Texas, so I don't know what that means, but that's my situation. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. And scene. <laughs> Exit stage left. But what exactly does that mean? We reached out for a comment, but unfortunately, couldn't get back in time. What? I literally did reach out for a comment. Like, I, I sent him an email. I was like, yo, what, what, what's this? You know, can you tell? And I, he just didn't, I guess he even... You gotta put that spin it. on it. <laughs> sources, at, sources at Perfect World yep. refuse to comment. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the case. <laughs> When approached for a comment, Smirk shoved the camera out of his face and (laughs) no comment, no comment. This interview's over. (laughs) I want Will Wheaton as Mirror Wesley, the crusher, for the next Mirror event. Will Wheaton. Oh, God. In an effort to help explain the limitations that environment artists fakes, fakes? Yeah, the environment artists fake their limitations. (laughs) I want to be the very best, like no one ever was. Doon, doon, doon. Sorry. Is that from Pokemon? That's the theme yep. song, only like mm-hmm. turned into rock opera. I thought it was Gotta Catch Em All, Pokemon. That's it the, is, it's part of yeah, that. Yeah, that's, oh, okay. that's the little refrain. I'm so excited, right, Jace. Here we go. <laughs> I'm about to get rent delicious up mm-hmm. in here.